Hey guys, this is Tom O'Pennekick, and you're listening to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. I don't know if that's enough for an episode. I think he should go the way of Boxy in the series. Then they blew her up. She's looking at him like, this dude's crazy. Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a fracking podcast. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica and Caprica. This is show 88. My name is Brian. Jason. And this is Jesse. You can find us on the internet at galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M. And our voicemail, 301-358-5175. Follow us on Twitter. Our account name is Galactica Quorum. That's one word. And we're also on Facebook as well. For this episode, we'll be talking about the Caprica episode, Know Thy Enemy. We have not listened to the official sci-fi podcast for this episode. We will not divulge any spoilers, not that we know any, but we will be doing speculation. Normally, at the beginning of the show, I do emails and voicemails, and we do have emails and posts that have accumulated, but I'm a little behind on getting the podcast out in relationship to when the episodes aired, so I'm trying to trim that deficit. So we'll forego them this time, I'll get to them eventually. But we want to just get right ahead to our discussion of this episode. So let's go ahead and roll into it. Here is the recap for the episode, Know Thy Enemy. Things are looking up for the Greystones. A mere month after their daughter was blown to bits, everything is downright rosy again. That is, until Virgis shows up. This puts Daniel immediately on edge. If Virgis' opening move, an offer to buy the Sea Bucks, doesn't offer any clues as to his rival's true intentions. The soldiers of the one need info about the Zoe Avatar, so Clarice, who apparently has a lot of sick days, most of which are spent getting high, is sent to infiltrate Greystone Manor. Amanda invites her over, and the two share some green ambrosia and get blitzed. With luck that only Gaius Baltar could appreciate, Clarice is brought into Daniel's lab, where her high-tech gizmo slurps up the Avatar code, countless security secrets, and all of Daniel's illicit porn collection. Lacey needs to find someone to get Yodi-7 to Geminon, so meeting is arranged with Barnabas, a soldier of the One Enforcer who's seen the Da Vinci Code one too many times. Speaking of the U87, Zoe is still being tended to by the lab guy, whose devotion to the machine has dipped from cute to creepy. Nevertheless, Zoe arranges a virtual date where she meets him in V-World. Daniel continues to struggle with his extended role in the robbery that killed two people, but will concede nothing. Virgis, being an honor-bound Tauron and all, tells Daniel he'll make him miserable until the debt is paid. But he's a civilized Tauron, so he'll only hurt Daniel emotionally. Roll credits. Alright, so what are our thoughts about the episode in general? On the scale of lowered expectations, it's better than I keep expecting it to be, but it's still got some hills to climb. Let's put it this way. I think for the third straight episode, I was watching it like lying flat, and I fell asleep sometime between 40 and 50 minutes and had to go back and finish later. Too much exposition. The recap could have been, we open to a party, yada, yada, yada. We leave Daniel standing alone. Just hardly anything happened in this episode. Yeah, I consider this a classic setup episode, even more so than some of the other episodes in Battlestar where we call them the setup episode where things would lead to something further on. And But usually in those, there's at least an A story that gave you something in terms of a narrative arc. By the end of the show, something would have happened. This thing, they just introduce new people. They tend to make you believe something's going to happen later on down the line with them, or maybe these characters are going to get involved somehow. But really, it just felt like the middle act of a couple other episodes. Well, I like Fergus. I'm glad they introduced him, and I think he could be interesting. 
but I don't know if that's enough for an episode. Yes, Fergus was very cool, but it's troubling when the introduction of two characters so completely overshadows the characters that have been the focus of the first six, seven hours of writing. We obviously know that James Marsters has been built up to try to get a ratings bump from frustrated Buffyites. <laughs> and he was barely on screen, and we can go back to his issue later. But as far as Fergus, he certainly seemed cooler. And by the time he finished laying out like everything he wanted to do to Greystone, is there anybody watching this that's like cheering for Greystone to stop him? <laughs> this guy's a milk toast. We don't give a crap if he loses. I think well, there's two things in that. And one is that they are putting paintball pellets against the wall of characters. They're like, let's see who sticks, because the ones we have so far just do not grab you at all. The other thing is I'm a bit concerned that they're turning this into, let's have the entire world take a dump on Daniel Greystone. <laughs> like, who doesn't hate him? And I mean, does he have any friends anywhere? Yeah, I would like to have seen him and Adama bond. Like, we kind of saw in the movie and thought that was going to be interesting. And then even when they tried to talk this episode, I just continued to be disappointed in Adama. I mean, there's no strength. There's no core iron will there's just this oh i'm looking in the virtual world to find my daughter he doesn't even seem very smart adama i think has one reason to be on the show and that's his daughter if you take his daughter out of the equation what really does he have to do seems like he's impotent in terms of what he can accomplish in the courts his brother obviously has more power being one of the mob guys yeah he procreated he's pretty much done he's done and the other guy is willie I think he should go the way of Boxy in the series. He should just, like, send him off to a boarding school somewhere. Maybe that's what they should do. They should have a Joseph get concerned that he's spending too much time with his Tauron mobsters and be like, oh, we're going to send you off to military school. <laughs> and We'll never see him again. I, I'm so agree with you. They had a show, Jack and Bobby, a few years ago, and the premise was that these two brothers and one of them grows up to be the president of the United States. And so by showing their childhood, their teenage years, you see the things that influenced them and gave them their core values that when he became president, it certainly influenced him. So we haven't seen anything that is going to lead us to believe that young Willie is going to be this great leader of the ragtag fleet. It's amazing, amazing how much the whole Toron or the scum of the earth, there's obvious like, you know, Capricans are perfect and obviously all the planets hate each other. It's amazing that this all exists right now and how much Toron culture is important. But yet apparently by the time we get to BSG, Adama has had the Toron culture beaten entirely out of him. So there's got to be a something to explain that. And maybe you can't explain it at this age, but there's got to be something in between that ties up the loose ends here. Because in both BSGs, we've had instances of like, there still being some planetary kind of feelings, even though there are united 12 colonies, but somehow Adama being a Toron was never broached. Yeah, no, it's nothing. Just I, amazed. I think in BSC, the biggest things they brought up was the Sagittarian prejudices that the people had. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, the Toron thing was never mentioned, which yeah. right, I can understand that because they hadn't developed Caprica at the time. The weird choice that they're doing now is that the show almost could be called Little Toron instead of Caprica because it seems like 
as far as the other colonies are concerned, are there other colonies? There's Tauron and there's Caprica. That's the only ones we we see. I would have liked to have had a more richer experience with more of the other colonies involved. I'm not saying they all have to be equally represented, but it seems like, my gosh, it's right now we have basically these two. And have we seen, were there Tauron tattoos in BSG? He did not I mean, this- have any. So if you were to write that, you would have to explain that Like I said, at some point, there has to be some event where he completely distances himself from his Tauron heritage. Because I get the impression that the whole tattoo thing, it's not like they wait till you're like 20 to start. You know? No. Edward James almost certainly had episodes or scenes in BSG where he was walking around in tank tops that it's like, Mm. it would have been obvious. Yeah, in fact, no characters that I recall had tattoos of any kind except for Starbuck and Anders, and they certainly were not Tauron. No. So, did the Galactica not have any Taurons that served? Did no one survive? Well, I guess you could argue that the Cylon War was so traumatic, maybe, that it drives out any kind of interplanetary whatever. But it's only 60 years. It seems like a long... I mean... In a 60-year time frame, you're going to have survivors that still would be walking around a ragtag fleet going, I'm not sharing a small room with that Toron scum. I kind of should have expected this kind of episode because the previous episode was so special effects heavy. When they do create those virtual environments, that is expensive. So we, I guess, should have expected this one would have been a lot lower down in terms of expenses. Perhaps I didn't expect them to totally forego going back to New Cap City or spending but a few token minutes in the V world. But Tamara's absence was really noted to me. I was just waiting. The one thing I was so interested in the last episode was completely absent on this one. It's sort of like the Hera thing back in BSG. Like when Hera was gone, everyone's like, hello, most important thing in the show. What's going on? Well, it's that thing that we just don't apparently get. For us, you watch a great episode and you're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see where they take it. Apparently, showrunners and writers watch the final product of a great episode and go, that was awesome. Let's hold this for three episodes and we'll pick it back up right i thought the sister clarice story was wasted time i guess a grieving mother would be happy that some books her daughter owned are being returned to her and that they shared the weird booze but it just didn't seem to move the story and ron Moore likes people smoking doesn't he Everyone is smoking in a lab in their room on this tv set it's like i get it enough of that Yeah, the Clarice thing, I don't know where her character is going or what. I thought that whole going to Greystone Manor was just very contrived. And again, going back to my point from an earlier podcast, Amanda, her whole role in this episode, again, was to open the door to someone and be basically a fool and let her access her daughter's things and the secret defense department's military lab. (laughs) And I was like... Way to go. Way to use your, your brains and your smarts and sitting there drinking at home. This whole Barabbas, mm-hmm. maybe once again there's something coming down the road that he's going to play a bigger part. But at this point, it's like, God, just we aren't going to turn in just because Spike's on this thing. <laughs> yeah, again, I think this one was sort of like bring in Virgis, have him be introduced, and also just plant an early seed for this Barnabas guy. You know, BSG had the great opening, the destruction of a race of people. And then they just kept going. Caprica had a pretty decent first five minutes. 
<laughs> they introduced us to someone that was supposed to be this pivotal player that's been in all the marketing thing. Then they blew her up five minutes into the first show, and you're thinking, all right, we're going to do something here. And then they just haven't done anything. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you got the magic first five minutes, but you haven't really figured it out since then. Yeah. And what's the over-under on how many episodes Zoe's going to be standing in the lab doing nothing? I bet anything that eventually she gets out somewhere, but getting there is just taking forever. I'd almost rather standing there than having the virtual date she goes on with the scientist. I mean, what's that about? Where's that going? I don't care for that at all. When he first came on, my fear was that they portray him as this loser geek guy. And, you know, he's not Brad Pitt handsome, but he's not also like, you know, one of those guys from Superbad who's just like a really nerd looking guy, which is you'd almost expect they should have cast for this. Like someone who's just, just kind of a dork, right? I also don't understand the way they're editing the scenes just seemed very confusing to me because he'll be doing these things and making these really weird comments to her. Nice chassis and all this stuff. And the reaction shots of her, she's looking at him like, this dude's crazy. But then when he steps off going away, she goes and types messages to him. And and it's totally opposite of what her character is doing when he's not there. So it doesn't make any sense. Her character is being portrayed as the smartest one on the show. Right? Yeah. So, obviously, where this leads to believe is she's really just going to use him as another part of the plan to get out of there. But what I really, really don't want to see is the cliched thing about the geek who falls in love with the machine, and no one understands that it's more than just a machine, and when he loses it, he, like, can't cope. Mm. Been done. I definitely fell asleep when the date thing started, <laughs> and that's when I was like, woke up later, I was like, oh my god, show's over. There's one thing I liked about that is that her way of escaping being in the U87 was to go into the V world and try to have some sort of reasonably normal relationship with somebody. And she knows this guy, so maybe it's safe. So that worked a little bit for me. I don't know if they're doing what you think, which is she's trying to trick him so she can use him, or if she actually is going for a relationship just because she's lonely standing there all day while her mother smokes smokes and drinks in the house. You know? Well, the best part's going to be when she is the robot, has to stand there and watch her mom bang Fergus <laughs> and see if she, like, reacts. Right. Uh, back to Tamara really quick. Jason and I had a discussion a while back about how the big switcheroo that the writers might have thrown in was that we all thought Zoe was the origin, the genesis of the Cylons, but really it was Tamara. That would work on one level. It would finally make sense in BSG when Leoben whispered to Rosalind that famous line from season one where he says, Adama's a Cylon. That would finally make sense if Tamara turns out to be like the big Eve of them all. But I'll never really be 100% on board with what they've done with this Cylon lore going how they started off to begin with. Cylons, as we first understood them in BSG, were created by humans, they rebelled, etc. And the mantra they always had was that the humans were the parents to the Cylons. I always thought that if humans created Cylons as true AI entities that had their own sentience, that would make sense. But for them to, apparently, what they're hinting at, I guess, is that Cylons are more like extended immortality for humans than actual new creations themselves. To me, that's not really parents of something. That's sort of like just extensions of themselves. So that breaks this great symbolism and great construction that they had of the parent versus the child, and the child has to replace the parent. Maybe I'm thinking about it too deeply that way, but I just, I don't buy that new construction that they've made. 
Oh, no, I can't get over the idea that they should finish whatever this season is, have this really cool cliffhanger, and, like, the next season should be, like, 30 years down the road when the Cylons are a part of everyday life and getting ready to revolt. I also understand why they needed this chip to do everything, because Surge seems like he would be more than willing to do any work that they want him to do. Yeah. (laughs) So if they want to have assembly workers who will never take a day off, just make a bunch of Surges, because he's roaming around the house and he's not complaining about anything. Well, not to mention, if there's an entire V-world that was created, and then an entire illegal V-world was created, it's just like the real internet. There's enough talent that can collaborate via the internet to figure this stuff out. Right. Yeah. If technology is dispersed and available, things get done because of the collective mindset. There's a million surges on these planets that can exchange ideas, and maybe not do it for a military purpose, But if they've gone this far, there's certainly a small group that's already thinking, how much further can we take this? And what else can we do? I did enjoy seeing the talk show host again, Baxter Sarno. It was good seeing him again. I thought those were some deep scenes. We had said that we thought that was kind of an interesting twist of seeing how the media covers it. And so I was glad to see that and how Vargas was manipulating public opinion Yeah. Another point I just realized, too, when we're talking about impact of real life and forgotten plot lines, no offense, but two people going on a talk show for 15 minutes is not going to make a large number of people forget that you were the parents of a terrorist that killed a lot of people. If you hate terrorists, that mindset's not wiped out by going, wow, that's a really good point that person just made or whatever, or they're just so nice after all. I mean, granted, we haven't seen her out of the house, but the fact that they're still just kind of functioning freely in society, don't buy it. In fact, there's no way he's in charge of that company anymore in real life. Just as another viewpoint, think about the actual Terrorism Act itself. The train was blown up. And yes, it's an act of terrorism, but on the scale of terrorism, like it doesn't reach the level of an Oklahoma City type of bombing. It's one train on one capital city of one planet. And it seems like they've made it sound like a bomb had detonated and destroyed hundreds of city blocks, the way the response has been. And I can understand a little bit, but I almost would have had the result be much more catastrophic. Because in terms of the whole colonies and the population of the planet and Have they said how many people died in the train bombing? I don't recall, but just based on shots we saw and like the gatherings of the people, it couldn't have been more than like a hundred or so, a couple hundred maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's a valid, I think both points you guys make is very valid about it's kind of quickly swept under the rug, you know, in the party. He says, oh, the board loves us again. And she's like, I'm no one's called me mama terrorist or I don't remember her exact words. And they kind of joked it off and moved on. Because, you know, to have that happen, but at the same time talking about how vengeance is like such a key part of the Tauron culture. How convenient. (laughs) Mm hmm. Let's talk a little bit about storylines. The act of cloning or copying the data from Greystone's computer, does that mean we're going to see more Zoes? Does that mean that they're going to just try to replicate the program so that they can put their own algorithms? It sounded like they had a good idea of what's involved on a basic level, but they just didn't have the exact schematics, basically. Something will happen weird. Like, they didn't take Zoe. They ended up capturing this thing that's going to turn out to be camera. Or if they take a corrupt version or an incomplete version and they try to insert a personality into it, and it's a mean, bad Cylon who wakes up, that could be... Like when Kirk jumped to the alternate universe? Right. 
Right. And it was evil Kirk and evil Spock. I just don't want to see Zoe versus Zoe in V World or copies of them. Just in terms of continuity, one thing that's been brought up by some eagle-eyed viewer was that in the BSG episode Hero, on Adama's file, Commander Adama, Admiral Adama, on his file it had listed as his parents, William Adama and Evelyn Adama. I think they might be following that canon and now introducing his assistant as the future Mrs. Adama. Wow, that's really into the minutia, isn't it? Is, it? Isn't it? I can't take claim for that, but somebody I'm did. I'm not criticizing. I embrace that and love the pursuit of minutia. I just, I guess, like, you wow. could, I guess you could consider it a spoiler then, because if she does yeah. in fact become his future wife, but then if you know the story that well, I guess it wouldn't be a spoiler because you knew it. Right. Maybe that's even ties up the part about the Tauron thing. Maybe she's not a Tauron mm-hmm. and maybe she becomes a bigger influence. Yeah, that would work. What do the Tauron women do? Do they have tattoos everywhere also? It's like the the female Klingons. Are they just as militant and really aggressive? I think think you're looking for a certain kind of fanfic. (laughs) I can see that. I totally can see that being written. If you go to a con, there's going to be like all this fanfic about Tara and love. And oh, God, I don't even want to think about it. I just, just, oh, God, the the can is open. Right next to the pictures of the the Kirk and Spock pamphlets, you'll see now Joseph and Daniel. Or Surge and the Robot. Uh, all right, let's do uh, grades. C plus. I'm going to give it a C minus. Yeah, I'm. aside from a couple of things like the weird Zoe editing with the lab tech guy, it was produced well, but I, I really felt the director, Michael Nankin, was wasted on this episode. For all the great episodes he's done in the past, like Maelstrom and the one where Callie dies and all those great episodes, this one just had... No juice. No juice. Well, I feel like they're running in place, and maybe that's why it's a C minus for me. Is I had gotten excited about it and hopeful, and this was just so non-eventful. And maybe it'll come back, and I'll go. Okay, they set up a lot of things, and they paid off. And retroactively, this was a lot better episode than I thought. But you can only view them as you see them, and only grade them as you see them. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what kills me too is still just how many articles I keep stumbling on on the web from various TV critics and stuff about what a great and wonderful show this is, and how it deserves all this stuff. And I'm like. If you truly believe that, then you never watched BSG, Hmm. or you dismissed BSG because it was more sci-fi, and you accept this because there's not that much. Yeah. I mean, in the last issue of Entertainment Weekly, they had the best 10 series, TV series of the spring, Mm -hmm. and number 10 was Caprica. And I was like, Caprica only makes it if there's 11 shows, and the 11th one is the Jay Leno show. And (laughs) And Marriage Ruff. (laughs) Marriage Ruff. All right. That'll close up this episode. Our email is gcorm at gmail.com. Our voicemail, 301-358-5175. Thank you for subscribing. The jump clock is running. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
right. All right. Let's okay. roll into this because I have a definite heart out. So let's see. Should I be in the same room with you then? Hardy, har, har. Ba-dum-bum. 